everybody. Welcome to the 34th edition of the Socially Distanced Podcast. My name is Bill Bodkin. I am the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. And with me, reluctantly, as always, my good buddy, a person I saw this weekend for the first time in a whole year, the magic editor of thepopbreak.com, Mr. Al Manorino. What's going on, buddy? It, it was from a safe distance, I will say. Way safe. Uh, Al, Way safe. Al, if, we, if you don't know, besides now being gainfully employed, is also a photographer. So if you have an event or a family shoot that needs to happen, you know, reach out to Al. He took some great pictures of my nieces and, and my daughter. My daughter, who was not having any of it because her, her outfit was boring. You know, she's five and likes unicorns and sparkles. What can I tell you? Love that kid. Uh... We're back in our Music and Mando, or Mando and Music series, which will run till mid-December. And then after that, I'm, I'll just say it, Al, because people should know, we're going to take a little holiday break, a little holiday re- For sure. regroup. Uh, Al and I are exhausted all the time. We need a break. And we're going to come back with some really cool stuff in the new year. I'm sure we'll let uh, our next guest, who's returning to the podcast for the third time, know about all these changes, because he is the uh, resplendent editor of this podcast, Mr. Lucas P. Jones, the Chewbacca of the PopBreak.com. What's going on, Lucas? Uh, <laughs> you, you could not have said anything better or more. If you just left the podcast now, that would be perfect. And coming back, I'm going to let you talk more, don't worry. Not now. But uh, coming back after making uh, an amazing debut, one of our new favorite people, Mr. Ken Grand Pierre, sir, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, we... is this, this is our, our first back-to-back guest ever on the pod and uh, planning to join us, hopefully, for the entire Mando series. Yeah, I hope. I mean, you know, you have a life. You could not be here every week. You can but... skip a week if you need to. <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, you know, Thanksgiving. Oh, that's going to We need to talk about the holidays. But anyway. We'll figure that out later. We'll figure that out. We'll be eating turkey later. Where'd you flicker this week? Um, anyway, terrible jokes aside, we are here talking about Chapter 10, The Passenger, Season 2 of The Mandalorian. And let's get into the first segment, uh, which is called The Opening Scroll, which I named last week on the podcast, On the Fly. Um, the Passenger, the second episode of Season 2, Chapter 10, is directed by... Uh, a name you might know, Mr. Peyton Reed. He is the director of such things as Bring It On, Down With Love. Very underrated Ewan McGregor movie, I might add. The I bre- love that movie so much. Oh, so good. So the, good. The Breakup, Yes Man, and of course, most famously, Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, a guy who, you know, he's done a, he's done a couple things in his career. Uh, so, this episode uh finds us still on uh most uh on tatooine as mando has returned from most pelgo uh on his way back his speeder bike is destroyed by some uh various vandals try saying that five times fast while drinking jameson it's not fun um he heads back and of course amy sedaris he gets back to most eisley amy sedaris's character says, hey, I found somebody. Her name is Pelimoto, by the way. Uh, there is someone who I found, who I vouch for, 
who knows where more Mandalorians are. And this one, this character is uh, dubbed Frog Lady. She has no other name but Frog Lady. And what has to happen is Mando must transport her to a planet where her husband is, so she can, uh, so they can keep their species going because they are two of the last of their kind outside of these eggs, which uh, frog lady is carrying, but there is a catch. They cannot go to light speed because light speed will destroy the egg. So Mando must uh, take the razor crest at regular speed. Of course he is then uh, pulled over essentially by two X-wing fighters uh, and then to avoid um, any sort of incident or capture, uh, races to a frozen tundra of a planet not named Hoth, where he, the child, and the frog lady in, uh, engage and encounter some of the creepiest uh, space spiders you're going to imagine. They, If you don't like spiders, this shit is going to freak you out. And uh, that's essentially the episode. So, um, Lucas, I'm going to start with you first, since you weren't on last week. What did you, you know, tell us what your overall thoughts of episode one were, and uh, just give us your, give us some brief thoughts here on uh, the setup for episode two. It's a terrible uh, question. Episode, <laughs> episode uh, the first episode, um, I generally liked. I thought the dialogue was a little stunted. Um, the first 15 minutes were just like kind of awkward in some places. It felt like the show was kind of tripping over itself a bit. Um, I could have done without almost like the first 10 minutes of it, but regardless, it really picked up steam. It got itself rolling. Um, I really enjoyed the pacing, especially of, um, of the first episode. I liked the, the inclusion, right? The world building it's, it furthers the relationship with the, uh, the sand people, um, and his understanding with them. I, uh, initially could not for the life of me place the actor playing the sheriff and it took me all episode to figure out who it was. Um, yeah, wait, I know. Wait, 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 wait. Hold <laughs> on. Hold on. As Ken, Ken takes his hat off and just like, just wipes his brow in exhaustion. You I don't uh, watch so you, a lot of movies. <laughs> you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. I have a child who doesn't sleep <laughs> And I have seen that movie. Like, I have five years behind on movies, dude. What is your excuse? I'm, I'm, Grilling meats? I mean, I, what do you got? Very busy. Alice, very, Alice, to any of this. I thought there's some quality <laughs> jokes in here. Um, very busy with many, many meat-related tasks. Um, if people don't but, know the inside joke of that, Lucas basically is the biggest carnivore in the world, hence why he's another reason why he's the Chewbacca of the site. <laughs> um, let, me, let me rephrase the second question here. For mm-hmm. you about the episode so sure. the passenger we're going we're getting a diversion here because mm-hmm. you know the setup's going to be things are going to go awry we've said you know we had this great cliffhanger at the end of episode one with tomorrow matheson tomorrow morrison sorry showing up is he boba fett is he a clone what is he definitely not Django fett we know that but what do you think we're like, okay, we're going on a side adventure here. What did you think of that setup for this episode? Not what you thought the whole episode, but when you knew mm-hmm. it was like, it was fairly obvious what was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I like 
I like the side episode. I, I think it's I, I was actually talking about it with a couple people about how like this show is kind of breaking us of our every episode matters addiction that we've had because of Netflix and Amazon and all these different things. So I like the aside. It reminds me of I just finished rewatching Star Trek DS9 and Star Trek Enterprise and the diversion episodes in that are fun. Um, so I like the diversion episode and I, I feel like it, it's it's nice. It's a nice way to introduce some new elements um, and just have a good time while doing it. So, Ken, same question to you. Pretty fairly obvious that uh, while she was chomping on some meats that Amos Sedaris was sending Mando and the child on a diversion. We were not going to be probably not going to be following up on the the bombshell cameo. Uh, from the end of uh, episode one. So what did you think when we, you found out we pretty much was easy to figure out that, okay, this is a diversion. It's actually kind of funny because when the episode started, I have, uh, well, I watched through Apple TV. I bring that up because if anyone has Apple TV, they'll know the little remote could be kind of finicky with, depending how you have it on your thumb. So I started the episode and it's really sensitive. And I noticed, um, like the progress bar at the bottom that shows you how much time is in the episode. So I started the episode immediately seeing it's like around 43 or 45 minutes. So I started the episode thinking, what? What a short episode. And then <laughs> as the episode progressed, when we get to like the five-minute mark and you kind of figure out what it's about to be, I had that thought of, oh, man, I, what? Bo where's Boba Fett? And like Mandalorian, like what's going on? And initially I was disappointed because I really wanted something to like, you know, matter towards the plot. But then as the episode progressed, I found myself thinking, you know, we need episodes like this. Like, it's exactly like Lucas was saying about like how we're so used to having this mindset that every episode matters. And for, personally, for me as a TV and like film viewer, that gets exhausting after a while. Like my favorite moments in like most shows are like the moments that you know, you think they don't matter. And then later on, you realize that it catches up to something or there was like a bit of character development that you wouldn't have otherwise. So, yeah, I thought it was a good episode. And I especially love I mean, I'm a big sucker for X-Wings. Um, oh. I love like everything about them, everything about like piloting. And yeah, getting to see some X-Wing action was enough to put my rating for this episode up a couple of notches. Well, and you're also a big, uh, we were just talking before the podcast started. You're a big fan of star Wars squadrons, right? Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah. It's a really great game. Um, and another thing I should add about it, it's actually only 40 bucks. So you get it like for, you know, Xbox, PlayStation, PC for 40 bucks. And yeah, it is a great way to just, you know, relax and just kick back so yeah i highly recommend that game it's it's fun engaging um just hearing star wars sounds that's kind of my big takeaway from that game too is like you'll be in the cockpit flying around and you just hear john williams score and like laser blast oh it's it's awesome it's ecstasy all right when you're an x-wing pilot do you actually can you actually deploy like when the x-wings unfoil so that's actually a little annoying you can't and it's oh. funny because there used to be the Rogue Squadron games uh, for like N64 and GameCube. And that used to be one of my favorite things you could do, like uh, turning the SLs on and off. Yeah, because I, I would love to hear like what you're saying. sounds I'm like, oh, man, the sound of like like when they open up is so cool. And we get a great visual of that in this episode when series one of the series producers, Dave Filoni, and the other guy, the other pilot is supposedly people were saying is like someone very important. I just don't know who he is. I'll, I'll reference. I'll reference him a little later. 
but when they when the foils open up, I'm just like, oh, it's so cool. Um, yeah, Al. <laughs> so you're when you found out when Amy Sedaris is basically you know doing some halal meat, uh, which oh, I, <laughs> I could go for some. Oh, I could go for a gyro right now. I'm not even gonna lie. Um, yeah. When you're basically you find out, okay, this is going to be a diversion episode. We're probably not going to like, you know, this whole thing of finding out about other Mandalorians most likely might not happen. Uh, what did you think? Were you cool with this, or were you, was it a little disappointing? It, it's a little disappointing, and it's it's one of the I think the main issues that people have generally with the series is they're not on board with the. You know, either the there's so many different ways you can say it, whether it's like the, you know, monster of the week or mission of the week or however you want to however you want to call it. Like it's it's an episodic series. You know, we only get so many episodes a season and everyone wants it to be, you know, we want to see more Mandalorians. We we want to see uh, Moff Gideon and, and the Darksaber and all this kind of stuff. They, Sorry, they I just constantly... got really, I just got really, I just thought of the Dark Saber again. I'm like, oh god, it's so awesome. I know. So, and it's completely understandable. But again, F- Filoni's coming from the Clone Wars, and I was talking uh, off off camera, off mic with Lucas about this. Is like, I'm like, Luke, was this kind of like how he did the Clone Wars? Was every episode super, super important for like the overall plot? And he's like, no, there were side, you know, episodes and arcs and things like that. And I think. You know, they took that into consideration because we, as fans, are so used to seeing Star Wars in a certain way. I guess, you know, especially fans that maybe have not explored the comics or the yeah. novelizations or, or the anything like that. Series. A lot or of the animated have. series. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We're we're used to like, well, I need to know what happens to Luke Skywalker or Rey or whatever right now. And people have to get used to that because it's this this show is for the long haul. I, I could see this lasting at least at least five seasons. So people have to like be patient. They don't. We're not going to deliver the child by season two, episode three. It's just not happening, right? So uh, I like to embrace it and seeing more of the world, seeing more new creatures. Like that's why I'm loving this show. So and getting to see someone like Peyton Reed direct basically like a Star Wars horror film was kind of cool. That was really interesting to me. We will get into that shortly. Um, for me, yeah, I, I was a little, you know what? I was a little bummed out at first. I was just like, oh, we're going to have a diversion. But I was also watching that on Friday and elections were happening. So everything bummed me out. But as it, unf- you know, as it unfolded, I'm like, oh, man, we have a lot. We have a couple more episodes than last year. You know, we need this type of episode. And I think, you know, as it played out, I was happy we did it because, you know, like Al was saying, like, we just can't give away so much. There's always the build. I mean, look at last year. We had the the Prison Break episode, which most people hate that Prison Break episode. I love the Prison Break episode. Bill Burr in his Southie accent shooting people. How can I'm, you hate the Prison Break episode? So I many dudes. So many people. Episode. Was that? That's a I love that episode too. I, I do don't too. Get it. So, dude, I heard from so many people. I think I wrote the review on it, and I was like, "This episode is great because you also got Clancy Brown, who's the Kurgan, you've from Highlander. You've got Tonks from Harry Potter, and everyone's like, oh, this episode sucks. What is it? It's terrible.' And then I'm like, "Well, you also got the dude from Sons of Anarchy in there. Come on, let's do it.' Sorry, that's a joke with my father-in-law who will never listen to this podcast. Um, 
But yeah, I'm just like Mark Boone Jr. I'm like, this episode was so good. And what's cool is we actually get Filoni, who was in that episode, back in this one. So that brings me up to our next segment, I believe, uh, which is, is the Force strong with this one? I probably said it wrong, but you know, whatever. Um, where we're talking about our guest stars and we're singing guest stars like who actually is in this episode. So I won't tell you who's in this episode. So of course we have Amy Sedaris back as Pelimoto, Richard Aote, uh, who people might remember from the IT crowd. Uh, also The Watch uh, starring uh, Ben Stiller and uh, a very underappreciated uh, cartoon on Cartoon Network called Apple and Onion. Highly recommend it. It's very good. And uh, D. Bradley Baker, uh, who plays... Uh, so, Richard Odie reprised his uh, role as the voice of Q9-0 from the aforementioned Jailbreak episode. D. Bradley Baker is a famed voice actor who's done a number of things in Star Wars, American Dad. Um, there was something else famous. He was SpongeBob. Like, if you're basically... If you're doing something... Fit, like really cool in with voice animation this guy is involved in it so not the on the level of you know the resplendently handsome timothy oliphant but still a pretty good cast um what did you guys think of amy sedaris's character in this one this is her third appearance can i'm going to start with you It's actually kind of funny because I know she's grown to being a little contentious among some Star Wars fans. But what I love about her and those like little pit droids is that it kind of evokes that thing about how Star Wars for as serious and dark and, you know, gritty it could be. There's also this contrast of it being overtly goofy. And I think sometimes when people see her character, they get turned off by being reminded of that. But I think that's kind of one of the successful things about the Mandalorian, where you could have Mando shoot the hell out of these guys trying to kidnap uh, Baby Yoda. And then the next scene is Amy Sedaris playing cards of a giant ant thing. So, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was good seeing her back. I was also going to add that um one of the guest stars, I forget the actor's name, but he was the pilot opposite of Dave Filoni. Yeah, who, um, I forgot who that was. So uh, People brought it brought it up and it's it's just slipped my mind i apologize yeah uh but that actor is on a show that i love which is on netflix called kim's convenience it's a highly popular show in canada it's about a south korean immigrant family that own a store and it's like about the different generations of an immigrant family and it's more comedy it's like a comedy drama but yeah kim's convenience super hilarious but he's amazing he's the patriarch of the family uh, named Appa, and he's just like pretty much just like constantly putting wise cracks and also uh, gems of wisdom. So seeing him was great, and um, yeah, it, I thought this was it was relatively strong. Frog Lady, um, I have to say, I wasn't super crazy about Frog Lady, but um, at the end when they're escaping the cave and she's like on all fours, I I was exploding with laughter. So I liked that a lot. I thought that was pretty cool. LPJ, what are you gonna say? Well, I did not mean that to rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I really like her character. I mean, the whole point of this show is to get away from the Jedi, the generals, right? It's supposed to be like everyday life. Um, 
there was a canceled Star Wars video game, Star Wars 1313. Which we talked about, Al brought up, and Ken talked, we talked about last episode. So thank you for for Mm -hmm. continuity, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Continuity. Um, Yeah, so it was, it was supposed to do the same thing. It was supposed to show like what a bounty hunter goes through. I think the closest equivalent scene we got was a scene with Poe Dameron, or not Poe Dameron, sorry, a scene in Rogue One. Um, trying to escape the underworld. Um, I love and that we scene, just, by the way. It's, it's great. It's one of the best scenes in the movie, and we just don't ever get to see stuff like that. So I really like Amy Sedaris. I like that it's like, you know, you could go around the galaxy gallivanting all you want, but you still got to take your car to the mechanic, right? Like, that's <laughs> basically it. So I, I think it's great. I, again, can't, I guess I can understand why people are upset, but I think it falls into the same vein of people just want every character to either matter or be a reference to something else and they want everything to be important and they just they just have trouble with this like it's it's just a fun thing just enjoy it yeah it's like we had wedge i mean wedge you know he was just a guy and he just ended up being in star wars and we ended up loving him because it's like oh shit he made it a jedi cool Mm -hmm. you know then he ended up being you and mcgregor's uncle so i mean you know good stuff i guess came from that I also feel that odd, the, the email... odd re- an odd analysis. I I, <laughs> I admit. I was gonna say I, I I feel like the Amy Sedaris character is like the Tatooine Carl Weathers, right? It's like the guy that kind of has to explain. He he has to set up everything yeah. for the episode, right? So um, like uh, there's a word for it. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Some uh, the green not the plot, but. Yeah, I know. No, there's 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 a fancy word that I'm trying to. It's the ex- expository character. Yeah, um, exposition. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, someone has to basically give Mando, you know, point him in the direction he has to go in, right? And I also I just like because Carl Weathers' character is not supposed to be fun and funny, but he is because the way he presents it. Very and Amy Sedaris is like, it's not like we put Amy Sedaris in Star Wars. It's just like. I think what Ken said it like it's bringing out some of the levity and the, and the goofiness that Star Wars is known for. You know, we don't have R two and three uh, PO here, right? So that's that's what this is. Uh, the Mandalorian is trying to do is add a little of that levity to it. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I mean, uh, Amy Sedaris is just always funny. She's like they're letting her be her and, and it be weird and be different. And I mean, the fact she's basically doing expository work. While just chomping on a piece of meat, one reminded me of Lucas, but also two, <laughs> it was just like it's just so whatever. It's weird, and she's like basically hustling Mando to be like give her money so she can beat Ant Man, basically, which is I think was a nice like it's Peyton Reed, so it might not be intentional, but it kind of was, and that's kind of fun, um, you know. And I also liked that the fact we had Filoni doing stuff, and, and by the way. We'll talk about it later, like the end scene where the, like he, he gets a little nice like hero moment here. Filoni also looks like uh Melissa McCarthy's husband, who was in like all her movies. Uh like Bridesmaids and um Spy, which if you've never seen Spy, to me, one of the best comedies of the last ten years. Um, absolutely hilarious. Uh, but yeah, I was totally cool with all this and uh you know, I know we had like a very famed voice actor being the voice of Frog Lady. Like, it didn't really add too much, but I did like the Richard AOD callback. And it's kind of random that he's basically hanging out. Like, that robot is just like hung up in Mando's ship. That's a little weird. 
Does he not clean the ship? Ever? I mean, if he's anything like me, no. But, you know, I'm a mess. You've been in my car. Have you yeah. been in my car? No, you usually drive me because I'm either drunk or going to get drunk. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, Al, you can think of it like like my car. There's always some audio equipment or some guitar amp always ready for something. But I'm also has... happy you got rid of that Monte Carlo for, or whatever the hell that car was. That thing looked like it was going to fall apart at any second. First of all, it survived a rear-end collision at 30 miles an hour. The other car was totaled. My car drove away and drove itself onto the tow truck. And I have replaced it with an, not an even better car, but I replaced it with a 99 Mustang. So my cars are getting older um, <laughs> as I continue to do so as well. Um, the Mustang is significantly smaller. Uh, but the trunk still fits a standard golf bag, so that's really all that matters. That's the bougiest thing not... you'll ever say. <laughs> yeah, son of a I bitch. also, I also would not be surprised if Lucas had a half-broken sentient robot in his car <laughs> right now, Very buried true. on top of like, buried on top of like, like a like a Chick Fil A wrapper or something. It's just like <laughs> underneath my golf bag is just like Richard Aoyte yeah. as this like you know war droid <laughs> that I you know he could basically fix my car when I need it. Amazing. Oh, that was uh, is the force strong with this one. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to future episodes because we we definitely still have Robert Rodriguez on the horizon. Again, wrestling nerd Sasha Banks is on the horizon. We still have Rosario Dawson on the horizon. So, hey man, we got a we got a lot coming. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk don't about. We, don't we don't we have some more Deborah Chow too? Who gave us some of the best episodes last season? You know, I actually, I to be honest, I don't know all the directors of the episodes. I, will, I know I'll I'm already, have... I'm already on the Wikipedia. By the way, there we go. Um, yeah, this is what I do. Um, yeah, back would work. Uh, so right, holy shit! Carl Weathers is directing the fourth episode of this season. Yes. What? Wow. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Wow, dude. If there's not one of these. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, a muscly handshake. Who? Everyone needs it. So Between just Mando and Cara <laughs> Dune. That's what I want. I don't even want Carl Weathers involved in it. Um. So right now it's uh according to Wikipedia, uh, TBA for episode three, Carl Weathers episode four, Dave Filoni, who we've mentioned a few times for episode five, uh, Rick. Uh, Famawia, who directed a few episodes last year, also a who I think directed the Prison Break episode. Um, he directed Dope, which is his most recent, or yeah. one of his more recent that guy's movies. Just, that guy's he, awesome. He wrote uh, episode seven, which is the penultimate episode of the season. Everything else was mostly written by Favreau, except for the episode five, which is uh, written and directed by Dave Filoni. That'll be your Thanksgiving weekend episode. Which is pretty wow. cool. I'm re- really looking forward to what he's gonna, uh, what Rick's gonna write for that because I really loved his, I loved his work uh, on the Mandalorian. And he like, if you watched Gallery, if you're a Mandalorian fan and did not watch Gallery on Disney Plus, which is about the Mandalorian, Disney Gallery, the Mandalorian, such a great, such a great series, super quick watch, brings you behind the scenes on everything. Ken, did you watch that? I did, yeah. I'm a big so, sucker for behind-the-scenes stuff, and especially just, like, um, photography and videography, and it's mind-blowing. Oh, as I see Lucas is pulling out his uh, his, his uh, <laughs> scotch from a uh, from a. Don't sleeve. mind me, gentlemen. <laughs> don't mind me while I get more drunk. Um, guys, I don't know about you, but I just wanted to uh, 
let you know it's baby Yoda time. No, I think it's stop baby Yoda time. Stop. Dude, well, first off, I had the tape of that. I had the cassette tape of Hammer, Please Don't Hurt Him. Did you own the pants? Ooh, good question. Good well, no. Uh, my <laughs> brother-in-law definitely did. <laughs> he is really I'll, I'll tall and very much older than me. So, it's Baby Yoda time, and it's a great time to talk about this. Last time, it was just like, hey, Baby Yoda's in a jar, and he's like, you know, we heard he was a little more audible. This time around, so much Baby Yoda. So, um, yeah, the, Al, I'm going to start most, with you. Yeah, I was going to say this is the, the most controversial <laughs> Baby Yoda episode of, of the Ever. series. Yeah, he's, uh, so he's for, for those who have watched it, yeah, apparently he is a murderer, um, the, our, our cute little adorable uh, bundle of love. He uh, he doesn't listen to Mando. Uh, doesn't listen to to the instructions of his of his would be father of uh, not eating the eggs that belong to uh, the frog woman. And uh, a lot of people are not happy about this, guys. And uh, very strange. Very strange. I thought. Uh, Wait. So think, okay. So are you ha- are you okay with this? Am I happy about it? Uh, I love babies being murdered. No. Um, no. I wasn't. Wow. I wasn't. Wow. The I hottest thr- take. <laughs> like that is hotter than any of the drunk shit I said in that one episode where I barely made sense. That's true. <laughs> I wasn't thrilled by it while I was when, when I was watching it. No. I. Uh, I thought. I like saw it happening. I saw it was going to happen. And I thought after the first time it would would end because oh. I thought he would listen to Mando and he did not. There are theories now that are popping up. I don't know if you guys saw this one. I saw a, I saw a fan theory that there's going to there's going to be something that happens where the glass breaks or they have to go to hyperdrive. He, she loses all the kids and basically, Baby Yoda like regurgitates the ones that he ate oh to like gosh. save them. That's a lot of protein. <laughs> listen, he's that's out. a listen. That I what? I'm gonna say is is super okay. super super not gonna happen. I'm gonna, but... t- I'm gonna tell you this. Listen, I'm not an authority <laughs> on anything, but Baby Yoda barfing shit up as a way to save a race <laughs> that ain't gonna work, man. That ain't gonna. Work. I know. But also, there's you know people were talking about how the you know their the the father didn't you know the the eggs weren't fertilized, so it's basically like yeah, getting yeah, a yeah. carton of eggs <laughs> at the like, supermarket. It's like me every every company. day for lunch eating a hard boiled egg. Uh, but you can see where people were kind of pissed about it, and I think understandably so. I think my only gripe was um, him not listening to Mando after the the first time. Also, Baby Yoda. Uh, kind of the reason the episode happens in the way that it does. I mean, he uh, goes and because he's fucking hungry all the time, goes and tries to eat one of the spider eggs, which wakes up a gazillion spiders, uh, which I don't know about you guys, but I was not about not a spider person. No, no, did not like that scene, but at the same time was thrilled by it because it led to one of the coolest uh, moments from the series so far. Lucas, uh, what do you think about Baby Yoda in this episode? Or as I know you will refer to him as 
the child because you are, my friend, a purist. <laughs> I have zero issues with that. Um, I eat a lot of eggs. I'm an egg guy. Same. Uh, Same I eat them soft boiled. I eat them fried, poached. Oh, poached um, is so fucking underrated. Yeah, Ken's, yeah, dying. Like, Ken's dying. Ken's <laughs> dying. It's like listen to these two up, idiots with beards talk about eggs. With <laughs> I a love little, it. A little. A little hollandaise, throw some of yesterday's pulled pork on it. You got yourself uh, a little bit of a brunch going on. You got yourself a stew. Um, going you got back yourself to Carl stew, baby. You got yourself um, Carl Weathers right there. <laughs> I Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. Baby Yoda's eaten frogs before. So eating a frog egg is just it, – it's just going backwards a little bit. And if anything, people should be less upset because the frog eggs are just eggs. They, they're just they're just eggs. They It's already been stated in the canon – that they're just eggs and they need to be fertilized by this unknown Dude. frog male. Uh, yeah, so I don't get what the issue is. Eggs are consumed even by some vegetarians sometimes. And, I mean, caviar is fine, so figure it out. I've never tried caviar. One day. It's it's fine. Yeah, that's what I've also heard. <laughs> I've never heard anyone rave about caviar, by the way. Or pate. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, we got uh, super boo. Lucas, Lucas enjoys his caviar while he plays his white man sport golf. <laughs> I only eat caviar on the back nine, my friends. Yeah. yeah. Drinking on, on my nine, scotch. That's uh, about delicate sensibilities. <laughs> Ken, bring it. Uh, Ken, uh, what'd you, what was your thoughts on Baby Yoda in this episode? Baby Yoda's a fucking creep. Holy <laughs> shit. Jeez, <laughs> Never leave this podcast, I'm kind, Ken. I'm kind Love of it. mixed on it where, like, I, I, I think I'm, like, similar to Al where when it first happened, I was like, okay, they're doing this. This is a little nice gag, you know, the first time it happened. And then when it happened again, I think I just kind of stared at the screen like, uh, all right. And then when it's, like, on the hot spring and it's, like, you know, it's like, hey, we got to get out of here. Like, you know, shit's going to go crazy. And then he's trying to eat it, and Mando shoos him away. I was looking at Baby Yoda. I almost got kind of annoyed. Like, I almost felt like I felt like a dad in a car whose kid is in, like, the booster seat in the back, and the kid won't be quiet, and you're, like, feeling at your wit's end. And I'm just watching it. So, oh, you yeah. Like, Sunday I, for me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, yeah. <laughs> so, so I was kind of mixed. I mean, definitely kind of some levity, but it's interesting where – with Amy Sedaris bringing levity, I feel like I can, um, I feel like people are too hard on that. Whereas with the eating of the eggs, I feel like that's where it got a little too far, where it's a little bit of humor and it did progress the plot, but it's like, did I really need to see it four or five times? By the way, I think I'm, just, two or three. I'm just realizing Al's wearing a baby Yoda shirt. Just realized yeah. that. Um, <laughs> for me, I was like, oh, this is like being a, a dad. Your kid is not going to listen to you. And how many times you tell them, don't put that in your mouth. They're going to put it in their mouth. <laughs> and it's just like every time Yoda, baby Yoda ate it, I was just like, oh, yeah, that's that's Sophie. <laughs> you know, it's it's the as my wife, if you might hear on the podcast, my wife yelling at my daughter. Why are you still on the toilet? Uh, you need to get off. This is this is things that every dad has to go through or every parent has to go through. One thing I'm going to bring up you guys didn't bring up was um, in the beginning of the episode where they get uh, attacked by these, you know, nameless thieves. Like, maybe Yoda running to Mando 
with his arms up, like almost like crying and oh, like oh, so cute. That was the best part. It was like this is the emotional involvement of men, of Din Djarin, and it just like because he's put his arms out. He's like, "Come here, buddy." Like you know, it's like I literally had to do that four times today. And so, like yeah. for me, it's a little different experience. I'm like, I can relate to that, and I like that we're seeing this father son relationship mm-hmm. really grow on this series, and it's not just I'm the stoic bad guy and some I'm stoic badass. I'm sorry, and uh, the kid will melt me every once in a while. Like he's really becoming a father, mm-hmm. and like none of the like I didn't feel like any of it was too forced for me because I'm just like the moment I found weird was like. Why is Frog Lady in a hot tub and put all her eggs in there? That was the weirder part to me. It's like, what are you doing, lady? Like, what, yeah. what's what's happening here? Why why is this your why is this is an odd flex? Why are you doing this during a a a, a shipwreck? You know, maybe you think like, all right, I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to relax. I got a whole thing I got to do. That's fine. But it's a, it, it was a weird choice, and I'm not sure. <laughs> I think that was probably the one of the weirder choices for the episode for me. But for me, for Baby Yoda, I'm just like, all oh, this makes sense. And the final moment where he just like, where they're, where they're flying along and everyone's going to go to sleep, and he's just like, in his mouth. And I'm just like, you son of a bitch, you got me again. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. so goddamn adorable. But I mean, it's also like, yeah, I mean, we also have to realize this being is perfect he's he is a baby even though he's 50 uh like he's a baby you know he's he's gonna put stuff in his mouth and he's gonna eat it and he's gonna be you know a little bit of a brat he's gonna be a little you know rascally so like i can see that and i think that's gonna what's gonna i wonder if this is gonna be foreshadowing for the rest of the the season i was gonna say year for some reason um i wish uh, i mean yeah (laughs) <laughs> a rat it's going to be a rascally 2020 uh i do uh I, bill i will say this it. it it remind the frog lady and the uh the warm spring reminded me of the scene from Spaceballs, which is the take Jesus. only what you need to survive and she brings <laughs> the industrial strength hair dryer i feel like it was it was like a very much like are you kidding me like could could you maybe well, not I do mean, that thing? i mean one day we'll do the we'll do a just a space balls podcast because oh it's a great great uh, idea Ken, you'll be on i've been di- I, haven't, I haven't watched that movie in at least 20 years you, I think You're you'll think it it's wrong. more hilarious now than the last time you watched it. It's yeah. like a totally different. I mean, Mel Brooks movies have that about them. Um, but I will say, and Bill, I hope you don't mind me interjecting because I, I no, wanted to ask Ken a quick train, question. Okay. Um, because Ken, you you mentioned um, that you were a little uncomfortable or like a little annoyed, but then you mentioned that. It, I, I guess I, I want to know if you were more uncomfortable by him eating the egg or the amount of times that it happened. Like, did you think it was just too many times to get the point across and it was like a weird storytelling device or was it like the content of it or both maybe? Oh yeah. It was definitely more of the frequency than the actual act of okay. it. Cause I'm very, I'm very pro uh, children, you know, being harmed in movies and TV shows. I'm okay with that. But, um, <laughs> you cold blooded son of a bitch. Who knew? Who knew? Second episode, we find out Ken don't care about oh, children. Full of surprises. Yeah, I, I think it. it was just the frequency of it that got me because I think it happens somewhere between four or five times. Yeah. And I think after the third time, I was kind of like, I, I get it. 
I get it. I think if he did it once, he ate the spider egg, and then he did it at the end when there he was falling when everyone was falling asleep. That would have been way funnier instead of just like he's constantly fucking eating it. Yeah, I mean they I'll did look the... delicious. I'm not gonna lie. It did. I, I like boiled eggs. Oh, oh, sorry. No, 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 no. I'm just talking about eggs. You can always cut me off. You <laughs> definitely should cut me off. Well, I was going to say, I'm not a father yet, but I do own a dog. And something that I find myself perpetually saying about my dog, because I've only had him since March, is that um, I've always wanted a dog. I love dogs and pets, and I've always wanted one. And prior to having a dog, I always used to think they were, like, highly intelligent, super smart, and, like, you know, on par with us as humans. I could comfortably say after owning a dog for six months that they are some of the stupidest creatures known to mankind. And watching this episode of Mandalorian, <laughs> Baby Yoda randomly eating stuff made me think of my little dog, Diego, who will eat anything off the street. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Can now, that kill me? Who knows? What type now, of dog is it? Yeah, I was going to say. Oh, he is primarily a chihuahua, and he's mixed with some type of terrier. We think he's a rat terrier mix, but he's basically... I was um, like, he's a chihuahua and a German shepherd. (laughs) (laughs) He's basically a complete slave to his instincts when he's outside. Inside, he's the coolest dog ever. Outside, he's a little prick, and he just... like. Oh yeah, it's just he'll he'll go after anything and everything. I mean, it's kind of funny, but like when you have you know the the leash, you're just kind of thinking like, God, if you would just if you would just do your <laughs> stuff and we could just get the hell back inside, that'd be amazing right now. Just like without, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, again, I mean, there are no lies told on this podcast. Uh, Ken, I'm not gonna speak for Bill, but uh, one thing can. that I I, I heard. <laughs> Years and years ago, on my favorite show of all time, Scrubs, they oh uh, yeah, you could definitely were, talk for me because I've never watched Scrubs. So go well, it, it it means it's it's for parenting specifically, and it's uh, Turk and uh, Turk and Carla about to have their first kid, and um, Turk was like nervous about it and were scared or whatever, and Doctor Cox told Carla that having a kid is like having a dog that slowly learns how to talk. And it's it is the most accurate thing that I ever heard yeah. about parenting from anyone else. Like my although you, son, although runs, your your son has never bitten me on the kneecap. No, but he bites. He bites my wife. He does. He bites. He bites his mom for some reason. I don't know why, but he bites her. And he runs so around. Many he puts stuff, so many jokes. Puts, I gotta make him. I know he puts stuff in his mouth that he's not supposed to, like crayons and all this kind of stuff. We tell him no, and he's like. Like looks at you and does it. So like, it was great to see, you know, a the the child have flaws, right? Because he he is not perfect, right? Just because he has powers, just because he has the force, doesn't mean that he's perfect. And he is, as we keep saying, a child. And it's great to see not only Mando um, embracing, you know, becoming more of a I guess a, a father figure, a parent. Uh, not just the protector, but like someone who is trying to raise him to be better. It's also insane to me that he is constantly putting him to danger. When when they crash in the beginning, I'm like, oh, so Baby Yoda's dead because nothing's surviving that. There's no seatbelts, nothing. Like he's not. He should be wearing that the thing that um uh, that IG88 had that like the that thing that that hold that held him in the front, right? That like little pouch. 
Um, that would be more protective than uh, than fucking a little satchel where he flew out of at like at least 100 miles per hour. I don't I don't know specifically. Um, and for a second, did anyone think that he saw the trap coming and he's going to make a right turn? It looked like that for a hot second. I don't know. When That's was just, that? Right in the beginning, right when he crashes the uh, the speeder bike. No, they, I, I, I thought he would just be smarter than that. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I, I I don't I don't think because the speeder bikes and and I'm going to do a thing that I swore I wasn't going to do. Do it. Speeder bikes, speeder bikes it. can go about 300 miles per hour at top speed. You and fucking you gotta... nerd. I love it. <laughs> that baby is evaporated it. at that point, right? The babies, they, they bounce at that age. You know that. <laughs> I do. I do. They, they are very, they're very uh, yeah. buoyant. I just, I don't know. I want to see, obviously I want to see more of a development of just like their relationship and him becoming more of a father and the, and the child learning from him, which he's clearly not at the moment. But at the same time, if this motherfucker does not make this world safer for this baby, I'm going to freak out. It's insane. Yeah, I didn't understand why he's like, he's like, hey, I don't know where Frog Lady went. You're coming with me to find out in this dark cave. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know. Put him in the fucking place you sleep and lock the door. But he I don't it because remember when he crashed the ship, he looking for the child. He's like, where'd you go? And he started to eat the eggs again. And it's like, <laughs> put a lock on the thing, man. Hey, you know what? He also has the force on his side. So maybe he'll, but who knows? That's true. Locks are kind of pointless. I don't know. We're we're on the baby Yoda thing for a lot. And, and no, it, because that's it, a, it's a big thing this time as opposed to, to last time. Now, one thing yeah. I'm going to uh, talk about, um, I think it was Lucas who brought it up, was the horror aspect of this. You know, the big climactic action piece of this episode. There is no segment for this, but we're just talking about the episode in general. Maybe we can call this, uh, this is the way. So let me mark that time down. And so, how do we take this as a horror episode? Like, where we have all these ghastly spiders coming towards Mando, Frog Lady, and Baby Yoda. I mean, we figured, probably, they're going to be okay. Well, at least Mando and Baby Yoda are. Um, how do we, how did you guys feel about the, the spiders coming out? Ken, I'm going to start with you. You know, was it creepy... Was it scary? Was it like kind of horror tinged or were you like, eh, whatever? This is going to sound so mean, but one of my favorite things is learning of a person's phobia and then silently internally in my head making fun of them for it. I bring that up to say that I know people in my life. <laughs> oh my God. Ken's like coming at us like a, like a dark Jedi. You're coming at us a Sith in this one, but it's all good. I, 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 I say that I bring that up to say that I personally am not afraid of spiders at all, and I know a lot of people in my life who are. So whenever it comes up in my head, I'll be like, "You're afraid of spiders? Okay, whatever." But watching this episode, it goes to like the greatness of the filmmaking and the photography, and just how they, you know, set up tension and staging. Where I'm someone who's not afraid of spiders at all. And watching that episode made me not want to see a spider for at least 24 hours. Like, it freaked me the hell out. And especially near the very end where um, the spiders have basically breached the ship. And their, like, spidery long arms are going through the crack of the main uh, cockpit door. And I really... I mean, 
that's something that blew me away. Yes, this is episode two, and there's like six more episodes to go. Obviously, Mando and the child are not dying. But there was a two-second period where I was like, well, 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 are they? Like, I actually felt that just from being so enthralled with what I was watching. So, yeah, I would say the spider horror element really did elevate the episode for me, which blows me away considering it was just like maybe six or maybe even eight minutes of like a 45-minute episode. And, of course, we had that moment where Frog Lady does shoot the spiders off of Baby Yoda's head. What did you think of that moment where Baby Yoda basically starts to cry? I mean, he, you know, we saw him at the finale of season one basically stop the, you know, fire, the flamethrowing stormtrooper. But here he's he's freaking out. So, like, talk about that moment. What did you think of that? I like that because I think it kind of speaks to what we were talking about before about like how with Mando, we need to see that he is flawed and also, uh, you know, susceptible to being attacked and susceptible to harm where, you know, it wouldn't be engaging for us to watch a show where everyone did the perfect thing at the perfect time. So seeing having a moment where Baby Yoda is, you know, kind of struck by fear and, you know, kind of frozen, like, I, I think it's important to have that. And yeah, seeing Frog Lady do that, I mean, it kind of goes to what Lucas was saying too earlier about like how, you know, so many people want to watch uh, anything Star Wars related and have everything have meaning and associate to something else. But I feel like a moment like that shows you that and just Frog Lady in general, it shows you that a side character who you could barely communicate with could have so many dimensions and layers because it then makes you wonder, like, wait a minute, how did she know how to do that? I mean, does she have a where she was you know proficient with shooting it just adds like nuance to a character you barely know i love that lucas same questions um yeah i really i loved the horror element to it it felt really well done um it felt like the the tension was definitely there um all the shots were great from like a cinematography perspective i really liked it it reminded me of fighting the flood in the halo series um, so it definitely brought me back to, to that moment. Yeah. Um, I fucking hated fighting. the blood. <laughs> I was petrified. We'll get into that. In a second. I know it was, but it, it definitely reminded me of that because it, it definitely brought back that idea of like, you know, you, you basically just have to run and try to get somewhere safe. Um, but I think to the, the other part of the question too, it, I definitely agree with with Ken that there's a great way to show this depth of character, um, you know, show not tell, right? So we show that there's more to the frog lady that potentially we thought before. And I also like that Baby Yoda is overwhelmed um, because what you don't want is you don't want the Superman, right? You don't want to have to deal with this all-powerful thing and then the threats don't become believable, right? So we saw the potential of baby Yoda in fighting the flame trooper. Um, but then it gets overwhelmed by this very stressful situation and can't focus. Um, there's a great, so essentially every novelization is better than any of the prequel movies. Um, so if you, if you don't like the prequel movies as much, you should really read the novelizations of the films because the authors do a great job of tying some more stuff in. Um, and I remember reading the novelization for Attack of the Clones, which means which is essentially that 
the reason that Anakin and Obi-Wan were essentially terrible at fighting Count Dooku is because they spent so much time fighting droids, they had lost the ability to basically fight another person wielding a lightsaber. So I like that this this version of Baby Yoda, where it is very, very powerful, but because it doesn't have the experience and it can't focus and it's it's something that it hasn't really dealt with before, it all of a sudden is essentially useless. And we need to see that a character that is as powerful is not all powerful because otherwise how do you keep the story compelling if baby yoda is never in any real danger ken you had a point you want to bring up yeah thank you i just wanted to add that i grew up being a really big fan of the star wars comics and novelizations and just to add to what lucas is saying the prequel novelization specifically the novelization for revenge of the sith holy crap it yep. will make you angry how robbed you were of an amazing movie yep it's absolutely. the exact same plot but the level of depth depth that you get reading that is mind-blowing like it actually does like a full it it's you can't believe that the film doesn't hit the points that the book does it's wild the book is phenomenal of revenge of the sith if you want a good version of revenge of the sith the novelization will blow your mind it's uh, Matthew Stover was the author, and he's written he other Star Wars books, and they're all incredible. The Giants and the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> <laughs> Legit Matt Stover. But, okay, so I'm all I'm like, I'm going to make this podcast way longer if I start going down this rabbit hole. Give me Ken and Lucas one reason why that novelization is better than what we saw in the film. I have I have it off the top of my head completely. So the crux of Revenge of the Sith is that we're seeing Anakin become Vader. It's kind of like what was promised, um, you know, since Phantom Menace. I think a lot of people, whether you like the prequels or not, we could all agree that when you watch Revenge of the Sith, it feels quite abrupt. It feels like it kind of happens out of nowhere. It feels like a sharp turn. What's incredible about the Revenge of the Sith novelization, and I remember reading this like years ago and thinking, wow, this makes so much sense, is that it really shows Anakin um, from his POV, like what he's dealing with internally. And I would akin it to when a child lies to their parent, gets away with it, and even though they succeeded at that, it's eating them up inside and they don't understand why. And what's incredible about how this happens with Anakin is that the lie of being married to Padme has, you know, it's positive and it's intoxicating, but he does want to tell Obi-Wan who he's very close to. He does want to showcase his skills and be respected by everyone. And it shows him being in conflict with his desires and the world that he's actually in. So it's kind of wild. You read that first chapter and you realize that he was doomed from the start because He's having all these internal conflicts going on, but at face value when he's interacting with like Padme and Obi-Wan, the Jedi Council, and even Palpatine, he has to put a face on. So throughout the course of the book until he turns into Vader, it's just a slow decay of this facade that he has up. And I mean, Jesus Christ, man, you don't get that at all in the film. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing that they he was able to achieve that in that book. Uh, Lucas, same question to you. I mean, I can't say it better than that. Ken absolutely hit the. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it was been, that was a pretty great you know, response. One hundred and ten percent hit the nail on the head. It is the whole point. Is George Lucas even says it? It's like what Star Wars about the rise, fall, and redemption of Anakin Skywalker. What didn't we get in 
the prequels, the rise and the fall, right? So, and we especially didn't get the fall because you can make the argument the first half of the movie was pretty decent in showing like the small little bits that like slowly turned Anakin, but then Anakin becomes Vader and then it's just done. The movie's over. Um, and the original cut of Revenge of the Sith is supposed to be four hours long. They ended up cutting an hour of the opening battle sequence out. And what they really should have done was they should have made it four hours long and they should have taken an hour of it and they should have focused on the person that was supposed to focus on. The book does that exquisitely. There's so much attention paid to the ending, the transformation, the remorse, the guilt. Once Anakin becomes Vader, there's so much internal monologue. And I would also add to that that Matthew Stover also wrote a book called Star Wars Shatterpoint, which is a fairly in-depth exploration of Mace Windu and his connection to the Force and how it specifically works. I'd argue Shatterpoint is almost a companion novel because it then adds Mace Windu's point of view. It adds an opposing point of view to Anakin's fall. So when you think when you watch the movie, you see Mace Windu is kind of a jerk sometimes and always like a little bit of a dick. This novelization is like very much explaining why he's like that. And when you read Shatterpoint and the novelization from episode three, the push and pull between Anakin and Mace Windu becomes even more clear. And I think that just I would rather read those two books than watch that movie any day. Al, I could ask you to respond, but I forgot what my <laughs> fucking original question was. At this point. <laughs> yeah, the, I think the original question was like, what did you think about the, the horror element? Yes. Right? That's, that's I, I, I don't want to retread I'm also like half a, like three quarters of kind of Jameson in. So yeah. no, it's, I like, I, it's also the, the concept, like you were hammered by now and now I am. Yes. Um, I, I don't want to retread anything that, that these two gentlemen have already said. Um, I already said that I was fucking scared of the spiders twice already. I will say, though, I love how they were able to do the same thing twice with different results in the first two episodes, having this legitimately giant monster. Um, The first being the, the crate dragon, the second being this, like, just disgustingly big spider. Um, having Mando fight these two giant creatures again, when he already has a you know an arch nemesis that has been set up in the last season, and then potentially uh, you know a conflict with a maybe Boba Fett kind of promised both of those things this season. We have two episodes in a row where he fights two giant monsters. In the first, he you know he has an entire town and an entire people to back him up and 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 try to fight it and try to come up with creative ways to to defeat it. This one, he is at a wit's end, and he's literally trying to survive with no backup, no ship, um, a, a helpless baby Yoda, and a, a passenger that he knows nothing about. So it was interesting to see how he actually escaped, and it wasn't because of his own uh, skills. It was because he had help from, um, I guess, what, what would they be at this point? So it would be, be actually fired. Fighter pilots. Well, I was going to say, they're not the Resistance anymore because they have won. I don't know what they're called, Lucas. Are they called anything specific? New Republic. This is the New Republic. <laughs> I just want to say I just want to say that it was, it was interesting to have their involvement in it because you could have easily just said, oh, they're in the beginning. It was to, to create the conflict. It was crazy to see them come back around and also have some callbacks from the first season. Like, you know, 
you're you're wanted and you know there's a, there basically there's an APB on this on on your ship but because you saved these people that we're friends with uh, we're going to let you go can you help me build my ship fuck no you're just we're going to let you go like i love that first that f bomb really from not from me all right that is not the first f bomb shit um, <laughs> you need to stop drinking well i mean <laughs> i could have said that 5 years ago but yeah so that's my quite my question about the pilots showing up at the end. Was that a con- did you guys feel that was a convenient way to get out of that situation? Al, I'm going to start with you. Did it seem a little too neat, or did it make sense? No, it made sense. I mean, they 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 seemed like skilled pilots that would have eventually found him. So it just seemed like they, you know, they they didn't lose him outside of the planet. They literally got onto that asteroid or wherever they were like they were still searching for him so you have to think that that was just a few hours later and they finally caught up to him right they just caught up to him at a you know obviously plot driven and opportune time i don't think it was a neat way to end it i thought it was a really interesting way to end it because again it's getting this aspect of star wars that we haven't seen uh i guess we haven't seen um in the traditional sense, the, this new Republic between, um, between return and force awakens. Yeah. So, um, I like that, that they're getting them involved because we're, we're, this is a post return of the Jedi world. We've talked about this on the, on this podcast and previous podcasts, how this isn't all great. It was last, literally the last podcast we were talking about how we got to see what happens immediately after the second death star blows up. It's not all gravy, right? Shit's happening around the galaxy. So I want to see more of that. I want to see more of the ramifications of the resistance – not the resistance. Um, yeah, the, no, the rebels winning, right? I want to see what what does that make? What, what does that happen? What does this new republic look like and not just on Tatooine and uh, on uh, the, the original planet that I can't remember? Ken, your thoughts on that? No, I definitely agree with that. If there's, it's kind of funny with Al bringing that up because um, with the sequel trilogy that just wrapped up, if there was any major gripe that I had, I mean there were several gripes I had, but a major gripe was the fact that the new we know the New Republic exists in the in uh, Force Awakens and then it's gone within like the first hour or so, and I felt really robbed by that. Where it's like here's this new government that essentially you know fixed a lot of the stuff that the empire did and we don't even get to experience what that was and that's kind of what i loved here in the mandalorian where because this is such fertile ground uh since the fall of the empire it's still this new republic trying to figure things out and you know to have them essentially act like space cops because they don't really know what to do i kind of like that i really thought that was hilarious i did have a minor gripe with how the episode ended where it made sense to me concerning what we saw up to that point, but I did find myself feeling it was so neat. And I think it's just a thing of a, a contrast between the tension that happened moments before, where obviously Mando was going to get out of it at some point. But I guess I look at it and think like, so if those guys didn't show up, Mando probably would have died, I guess. And it's it's funny. It's like, I guess it's one of those situations for me where I'm so engaged while watching it that I don't care. But then when I think about it, like a couple minutes or an hour afterwards, I'm like, oh, that was a little more neat than I would have liked. But I mean, 
one of my I love uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman films, and I particularly love at the end of Batman Begins, where he's just like, I don't have to save you. And the fact we got to see that in Star Wars, I'm here for it. Like, I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah. Some some big Bruce energy. I loved it. <laughs> big Bruce energy. <laughs> wow, that's first. Uh, Lucas. How quickly the Space Rebellion become the Space Cops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get too political, Al. Get upset. I promise that's going to be it. Um... I will say that, Al, if you do want more space politics, you can read the Expanded Universe, now the Legends. Um, I can give you a reading list if you want, um, because it is really interesting, and it it is really interesting, and and they do shine a good light on it. Um, I guess for the initial question, I don't think it was – I don't think it was neat because I think it makes sense in the episode, right? It's like like if we're thinking of this as like a serial, right, like the original Star Trek series, like – it's a one-off episode, right? So you just they come back at the end, they save the day. It makes sense because if these if these like space cops are, you know, just trying to find this this ship, right? This fairly notable ship, it makes sense that they'd keep looking. Um we saw in Empire Strikes Back that snow speeders are able to cover a pretty large majority of the planet in a very short amount of time. So I guess why not X-wings? Um but I thought it was cool. I thought it was like a cool little moment of like, you know, the only reason that Mando wasn't able to fight off the spiders is because they were they didn't he didn't have a powerful enough weapons because everything was broken. Um, so I thought it was fine. I mean, I thought it was a nice way to wrap it up, tie a bow on it and get us off to episode three. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dave Filoni got a nice little moment where he's got his rifle and he's uh, shooting that giant spider. So good for you, bud. Uh, come on the podcast anytime you want. And, uh, yeah, I didn't think it was too neat. I think you had to figure out a way to, to get it there. And, uh, you know, uh, I like the fact we kind of, like, there was that line where, like, these are, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Uh, these are different times. Mm-hmm. The, you know, so it's just like we're kind of in, we just had a civil war, essentially. And now we're in the the aftermath of that. So it's like things are in a bit of a gray area. So it makes sense that these guys would help Mando in one way. But like Al mentioned before, they're like, we're not going to help you build your ship back, dude. Like, we saved your ass, fix your stuff, and get going. You're fine. Because you helped this guy, who I'm assuming is the um, the guy from the uh, Prison Break episode. You know, Mando didn't kill. He saved him. And, you know, so his his actions have consequences. So it's pretty cool. I like the fact that we're we're tying continuity into the series, but we're not crowbarring stuff in the series. Like Ken and Al, we talked about in the last episode with Cat, of you know what we saw in the prequels and we saw in the sequels. I didn't again, not pun intended, but like of we got to crowbar stuff in there so stuff makes sense or it's referential to the original trilogy. Like this is continuity, so I I, I like that. And, um, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't have a problem with that myself. So we're going to close off our Mando review by just like, you know, let's compare it to the first episode. It's a little hard, but Ken, I'm going to start with you. How do you feel like, do you, do you, would you recommend this to people or is this a skip for you? Um, that's a good question. I would definitely still recommend it, but I do feel less enthused about this episode that I did the premiere but I think it's it's more a 
tribute to how enthralled the premiere left me and how much I enjoyed that rather than this lacking anything. I guess it's just a thing of, you know, with this being kind of like its own little epi- like side episode, it's engaging and it's fun, but it's just nowhere near where the first one was. But still something really cool. I would recommend it. Lucas, question to you. Um, I I like this one. Um, I think that I think it's actually better to recommend this episode than last episode for someone who's never seen the show, um, because you want a standalone episode. Um, so it's kind of like, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of like a blink for Doctor Who, right? Like it's a standalone episode, and it gets wow. people involved without like without getting into the backstory, without feeling like they're overwhelmed. Cause Al knows that if I, if he recommends a show and it's like a whole, it's like three seasons and they're all connected, I'm probably not going to watch it. Um, so I like this episode. I think just as much as I just also one. like Al's re- like <laughs> unmuted response since he's known you for like 25 years. It's just like, he's like, Nope, 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 Nope. He's, he's, he signed up for it. Should have made me one of his uh, one of his best men for his wedding if he didn't want to be dealing with it. Uh, <laughs> Holy shit! I'm the guy who officiated I'm, the wedding. Yeah, I'm the guy. Um, but yeah, no, I I really liked it. I think it was just as good as the first one. I just think it was a different type of episode. That's all. Um, and I, I like it. I like the departure from back to back. It's it's good. It keeps people on their toes. It keeps it it keeps it fun. Alfred. Uh, yeah, I don't really have much to add there. I think Lucas kind of nailed it. This is a good starter episode for people. Um, you know, it's, it kind of has the Doctor Who mentality of like, we can do these standoff episodes and we don't have to reference the overall arching plot of the season and still make an enjoyable piece of television. Um, I will say that the first episode is definitely my favorite of the two, um, if only for the inclusion of Timothy Oliphant. He was amazing in it. Uh, but yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, Didn't I, we have a rating system? Oh shit, we do. We have a parsec. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad so zero, that there is zero. one person who remembers everything. So, Ken, starting with you, on a scale of 0 to 12 parsecs, how would you rate this episode? I would give it a 7. Roughly a 7. 7 parsecs. Um, Lucas. Um, I would give this, I think, an eight point six, above average, not great. Got it. Classic Lucas, eight point, <laughs> not eight point five, eight point six. I, I don't. I'm surprised it was an eight point six two three. Uh, <laughs> Al. Yeah, I'd go like I'd go right in the middle, probably like seven and a half, eight, like right around there. It's it's solid, and there's some really great moments, yeah. but it just doesn't top the, the first episode. It sets up so much and gives us so much, that first episode. It gives us the – it gives us uh, Cobb Vanth and then sets up potentially a Boba Fett, right? And literally nothing else we were promised for this season, and it's two episodes in. So I'm kind of upset with that. Uh, yeah, even though it, it goes a bit, goes against everything I said previously, I want to see the dark saber. I want to see. Uh, I want to see uh, Ahsoka. Like, give me these things you promised. 
Stop giving me spiders. <laughs> Fuck spiders. Such a greedy bastard. Um, this, I mean, I'm not surprised we had this episode. Um, yeah, I think it was a little neat with this, the X Wing fighters. But for me, yeah, I'm going to go like just around an 8, 8.5 out of 12. Uh, sorry, maybe I should do an 8.72. <laughs> I'll, I'll take $1, Bob. <laughs> okay, Lucas. Um, <laughs> I like it really close to what the microphone my friends refer, refer to as the God microphone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a super solid episode, a lot of fun. The horror element really is just like super creepy. Uh, loved just everything about it. Peyton Reed did a great job here. This was a great, as we said before, a great diversion episode. We don't need everything right away. I'm totally cool with that. And next episode, I'm sure we're going to get to whatever planet they need to go to. Or we're going to get the necessary information we need. So, yeah, that's cool. I had a lot of fun with it. So, guys, as we said before, this is Mando and this is music. So we're going to talk about our music recommendations uh, for this week. Um, Lucas, you're our guest. So what do you got this week for music? I got two new songs from System of a Down. Mother Fletcher. Let's hear it. Yes. So System of a Down released their first new music in 15 years. Um, It was two songs, uh, Protect the Land and Genocidal Humanoids. Um, both songs inspired by the recent conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia, Armenia, the, uh, homeland of the members of the band. So Azerbaijan backed by Turkey and Russia have invaded Armenia over, uh, some local shared borderland. Lucas um, B. Jones getting the politics in. <laughs> no, no, no. This is recent history. I promise. Not politics. No, I'm just um, kidding. And so they that conflict has been raging since September, and actually very recently a surprise peace deal um, has taken place. So the war is over. Armenia has unfortunately, for the Armenians, had to give up a couple of pieces of land, including a key historical city, to the Azerbaijanians. Um, but uh, irregardless, the, the not a real word don't... I found out <laughs> years uh, ago. Yeah, right. Uh, the songs are fucking dope. Um, they're so good. I mean, Protect the Land is like that classic uh, System of a Down ballad. Um, like Aerials, uh, the super heavy, super like big chords. They play in a drop tuning for the musicians out there so they can hit these like big chords, these fat notes. And it's so it's so cool. Um, and obviously Protect the Land is more as a, a rallying cry for the Armenian soldiers. Um, genocidal humanoids, uh, it bops. It's got this cool... Little, uh, <laughs> that's what the young people are saying. Ben uh, Murchison, to, where are I'm you, I'm trying buddy? to keep myself young. Uh, I'll be skipping my 30th birthday this year because of COVID, so I'm trying to keep myself young. You're not, we'll remind you. <laughs> um, but yeah, genocidal humanoids. It's it's so good. It's got like that class. It's it's so crunchy. I don't know how they get their guitars so crunchy, but it's so good. It it it's got those Spitfire lyrics. They're they're so known for. Uh, both of those songs are acting as a fundraising campaign for schools, hospitals, and the general rebuilding efforts um, for Armenia. They've signed up with some charities to be able to distribute that money. Um, so all of the sales, all the donations go towards that effort. Um, 
But the, it's good. I mean, I'm so happy Sis Move Down is back. Uh, you know, on, under better circumstances, I wish they could have come back. Um, they've had some stuff going on in the band, yes, some issues of who have. writes the songs for a very long time. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's really good. I hope this. I hope they're able to continue to put their differences aside to make more music. I mean, imagine not making music for 15 years, coming back and making two hits. Right. It's 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 so good. Their last album, Mesmerize, is one of my favorites. Um, It's just it's it's been so great to listen to System of Down. Been on a huge kick with them again recently. Ken Grand Pierre. Uh, One of the best names of all time. Please regale us. Last week's uh, choice was amazing. What do you got for this week? Oh, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes, uh, I did. Well, funnily enough, these last couple of days, I've been on a huge uh, Lenny Kravitz kick. I oh, really enjoy Lenny Kravitz. Super groovy guy. He dropped an album two years ago, like at the tail end of uh, 2018, uh, called like Raising Vibrations. And that's like a really great album. But I am not going to recommend Lenny Kravitz because he's a millionaire and everyone listens to him already. So instead... <laughs> I'm going to recommend a band from Belgium that I love a lot called Balthazar. I would say they're basically like Belgium's answer to Phoenix. And they recently dropped Al's already, already piqued his interest because he's literally paid by Phoenix. Not literally. Yeah. Eyebrows went up. He's like, (laughs) boop. Yeah. They, uh, they've been around for about 10 years and they're about to drop their, uh, fifth album next, uh, January. I think the album's called Sand, and they they have a new single they released recently called Losers, and it's a really groovy track, very chill, very mellow, but like really like thumping with the bass line. And yeah, if you like The Strokes, Arctic Monkeys, or Phoenix, I think you would love this band and this song. So Al is definitely in on that. Alphonse, what do you got for us? And please don't tell me Phoenix again. Uh, It is not... Phoenix again. It is Foo Fighters. Talking about uh, talking about uh, an older band with new music. Uh, Foo Fighters were the guests on the latest episode of Saturday Night Live. The post election results, literally hours after we got the election results. Well, the projected projected results. Yeah. Jesus Christ, give me a break. I know. Um, Listen. Yeah, I, I'm just ref- I'm just stating the facts, and I uh, I echo your state your sentiments. Yes. So I uh, so the uh, what's it called uh, the new Foo Fighter song called Shame Shame. It's off their uh, upcoming tenth uh, LP. Very solid song. I wasn't crazy about hearing the live version, but As saw the I. saw that a video dropped today with um, oh man. I don't want to butcher her name, but it's the girl from Kingsman who's actually in it. Sophia. And she's also in uh, The Mummy, too. Sorry. Not The Mummy, the sequel. So Sophia Butella is, is in the video. Roughly correct. Dave. Yes. Roughly correct. Thank you. So uh, video solid. The song's way better. I think the studio version's better. I will say, though, not a new song, but absolutely adored hearing the live version of times like these on saturday night live that is a fucking fantastic classic foo fighter song but the rendition after that like that day 
just the like the amount of emotion that day they were able to kind of just package together in that version of times like these so i i, I highly recommend if you haven't watched snl from last week uh you should do that there's some pretty great stuff in it Chappelle does like 16 minutes of stand-up in the beginning but definitely check out their performance of times like these uh it's basically like half acapella and then uh and then they uh, break out the jams and it's pretty banging yeah i watched that episode as well probably one of the better snl episodes i've watched in uh, probably the last year easily and uh, it sucks that the millennium episode was not up to millennium standards i should say that was the week before for me um Guys, indulge me. I'm going to be a little sappy. So, oh, shit. Oh, well, I just, <laughs> I literally just punched my microphone. I apologize. That. But um, for me, it's it's an older song. I'm going to reference this uh, this week. And it's the song Home by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And you might be saying, like, that's a very random song for you to be referencing, Bill. Uh, but, uh, on November 6th, I celebrated my 10th wedding anniversary to my wife, Sue, and this was one of the song we came out to uh, when everyone's like, well, ladies and gentlemen, the bride and groom, and uh, all our, I, I have to also mention that our wedding party came out to Dropkick Murphy's shipping up to Boston, because if you know me, completely on brand, but my wife, Sue, and I came out to this song, and... Um, it just means a lot to me. Like it, it always will. Um, my wife is my best friend. She's one of my favorite people in the entire world. And I love her so much. And she's been an amazing partner and wife and mother. And, um, you know, having drank like three quarters of a pint of James and I could, and being Irish, I get emotional, but like my wife is an amazing human being. Every time I hear this song, I just think of her, she is my home. She is my everything. So that is my pick for this week. And uh, I wish you guys were all at my wedding uh, 10 years ago in Seaside Heights, New Jersey at Hemingway's Restaurant. We had a seven-hour open bar, shots included. The stories I'm still getting from that, amazing. Uh, so many people just telling me terrible things that happened there but it was a hell of a time and uh yeah so that that is my pick because um it reminds me of these times uh we actually had a pretty killer soundtrack uh cd that was our gift to everybody and that was one of the songs on it my art if you're wondering what my first dance song was it was uh lucky i'm in love with my best friend by kobe calais and jason mraz we had a couple other stuff on there couple other things on there, I should say, but uh, that one will always resonate me, with me for the rest of my life. So, Home by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. So, that is the end of our podcast. Um, Lucas, tell us where people could find you on Twitter, where they can find your uh, independent slash minor league hockey materials <laughs> on the World Wide Web. Because I don't think anyone's called the World Wide Web since the days of CompuServe. 
Well, I am famously off the grid, um, and so I, mean, I have. Yes, you are <laughs> at all times. And as is, and and I've you know very intelligently chosen a job where my face is plastered all over the internet. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at ljones1138. But if you're interested in junior hockey or hockey in general or um, puns referencing the mamas and the papas on junior hockey broadcasts, you can follow at the underscore Dan K show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I run the Facebook because I'm the oldest member of the team and therefore Facebook is my domain. Uh, we cover junior hockey. We like to have a lot of fun doing it. And L Jones 1138 is mostly snarky tweets about the Yankees and debates about pork roll and central Jersey not existing. It fucking exists. No, and it doesn't. It does, you son of a bitch. I've, I live there. I grew up there. I, I lived in can... New Brunswick, and I can tell you it doesn't exist. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> and... For nearly a decade, I lived in New Brunswick, and it doesn't exist. Yeah, bro. I can tell you. 30 you just, years you, in Central Jersey. It you fucking just tell me exists. whether I have to show up to North Jersey or South Jersey to fight you over this, and I'll be there. I won't because you're fucking <laughs> wrong. Anyway, so, like this is another podcast for the other day. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so oh the Dan K show, it looks like the Dank show. It's not a show about weed. It's a show about junior hockey. Lucas, my one question to you is, who's the most uh, famous person recently that's been in the junior hockey league that's made the NHL? It's going to be someone I have no idea who it is, but hey, why uh, not? Well, we've we've had some people from our league, uh, Charlie Coyle. We can, I think, claim uh, there's a Van Riemsdyk brother that came through our league. Uh, there's a Joseph Duzak who is up and coming. They He's with the Marlies right like now. Names. Toronto Maple Leafs minor league system, an offensive defenseman. Uh, we gave him the unfortunate nickname of Joey Bag of Donuts <laughs> because he played for a team in in Long Island. <laughs> So also, we called him Joe, Joey Duzak when he scored a goal. We said, the Cavs are here, Joey Bag of Donuts. And apparently that nickname followed him to his semi-professional team. He showed <laughs> up and they go, hey, Bag of Donuts, what's up? So we feel terrible. You um, should have. Because listen, but, uh, a Bag of Donuts is amazing. <laughs> it's a so good it's thing. a guy who can't eat donuts. Uh, Ken, Grand Pierre, my brother. Where can people find you on the internet? Because you've got a lot of really cool things to talk oh, about. Oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, people could find me on both Instagram and Twitter under Konami Photo. That is K-E-N-A-M-I Photo, spelled the normal way. And um, yeah, uh, you'll see a lot of my content photography as well as a lot of postings for my own podcast, the New Exchange Podcast with Ken Grampier. Today, I just dropped an episode with Cameron Johnson. He is an incredible actor who you've definitely seen on Luke Cage, the OA, and he's currently on Batwoman as Luke Fox, basically Morgan Freeman's son, which is pretty cool. And um, yeah, the season finale for this first season will be on November 17th. Season two will be coming out in February. And yeah, definitely check it out. What season of the OA was he on? Oh, I actually don't know. Because I I'll definitely watched season one. That was rad. Season two I started, did not complete. He was also on Luke Cage, and he was essentially like the annoying black kid in season two who kept bothering Luke Cage, if you remember that. I did not watch Luke Cage. Al did. I did. 
Just trying to remember it. Al knows nothing right now. He's, he is a tired dad. Al, <laughs> where can people find you on the socials? Uh, at Al Manorino on Twitter. Uh, and I'm basically, at this point in my Twitter career, just like really excited about Fast 9 and just want that to happen. <laughs> we did a whole segment on this podcast yeah. about, with Alicia, who I talked yeah. about, who I texted today about uh, Mads Mickelson replacing Johnny Depp in Fantastic Beasts. And her response was, Zaddy Mads, thank God. <laughs> Zaddy, love it. Um, love and it. then at, uh, at Al Manorino on Instagram. I used to be a photographer. I take photos occasionally. You I'll will start again. posting more. You will I'll again. start posting more. You will again when things are safe and we can, like, you know, be safe. Literally. Um, as for me, it's just a lot of wrestling and Pop Break retweets at Bodkin Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. And yes, I had to think about it. But most importantly, every single day, please check out thepopbreak.com. We have, for 11 years, have had some of the best people writing for us. Two of them on this podcast, Al Manorino, Lucas P. Jones. Ken, you haven't written for us yet. Maybe one day. No pressure. But, <laughs> you know, it's a great site. Check these people out. They work hard every single day to bring you amazing content about film, about movies, about Oh, God damn it, it's the same thing about film, music, what I meant to say, television, comic books, pro wrestling, and we will be having launching a new section called Digital Trends very shortly. Check us out on Twitter at popbreak.com, all spelled out, forward slash popbreak.com, all spelled out on Facebook, at the popbreak on Instagram. And if you want to follow us, like you probably are right now, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. We also have Pop Break TV. You can find them on the same platforms. They're the Breakcasts, only available on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. So, for our special guest, the Chewbacca of Pop Break, Lucas B. Jones. Oh. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> For the Han Solo of, of the site, Alfred Manorino. Wow, I don't even think I deserve that. I, can I give that to Ken? Can I be like... No, no, the, no. He's going to get something better. Can I get the no, droid no, no, no. that... Can no, I get no, the no. droid that Fuck Luke off. doesn't take? Shh. <laughs> no, no, no. The one with the bad motivator? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be him. For the Millennium for, for the Millennium Falcon of this podcast, the coolest ship, Ken Grampier. I'll take it. I I'll am Bill. It. I am Bill Bodkin. Thank you for joining us on the Socially Distance Podcast.